This morning we have something we're so excited about. It is called five by seven, which means we are having five speakers for seven minutes each. And these are some of the young communicators in our church, both because they're young, they're all under 80, and um, also because they haven't had a lot of chances to speak on a Sunday morning to us. And so these five communicators are going to go, they're each going to have seven minutes apiece. And what I want you to do is I want you to imagine that all of a sudden it is you up here, standing underneath the lights, looking at everyone, looking back at you, and think about how you would want everyone to respond. You would want them to ha have energy and have fun. So let's do that this morning. Everyone, let me hear your best one chapel laugh on the count of three. One, two, three, laugh. <laughs> You're all naturals. Uh, it's going to be a long morning. All right. Uh, you can cheer. Let me hear your best one chapel cheer. And if they say something really profound, you can do that mmm sort of sound. Like, give me one big mmm. That sounded more like you were hungry than uh, <laughs> spiritually hungry. But that's all right. We'll work on it. Uh, I want to invite all of our speakers to come on up here this morning, all five of speakers. Can we give them a big hand? Come on, better than that. Can we give them a big hand? They are up here, and they are going to be sharing your story. And I have to tell you something that happened to me, actually, between services, which I had someone come and talk to me and about a story that I told. They're not from Austin. They actually knew our church at New Life Church in Colorado Springs. And she ran into me, and she's like, I haven't seen you since 2001. But I remember a story that you told on, that, on a Friday night group called The Mill. And I remember a story you told, and it changed my life. And it made me want to follow Jesus. And I was like, she's like, I didn't really, I, I hadn't even seen you, but I actually saw your face and announcements there. And I didn't even know you were at that church. And she's like, that's Rob Stinnett. He told me that story. And so for me, it was just a confirmation of the power of us stepping out. I was young. I was probably 20 years old at the time. Young college kid telling a story. I was just like, they were nervous. But God works through us when we're brave enough to tell our story, which is ultimately his story. Okay, and so that's what's going to happen this morning. We have some amazing speakers. First, this right here is Alan Stone. Everyone say hi, Alan. Hi. Alan is a good friend of mine. He's one of the pastors on staff, and he makes so many things happen here around the church. We are so grateful for him and for Tabitha. They are an amazing power couple. Next, we have Shana right here. Everyone say hello, Shana. Shana is a faithful, faithful, plugs into our students, really helps them, serves them. She's invested so much in my daughter and so many students at one chapel, and we are grateful for her. Next right here, this is Jansen. Everyone say, good morning, Jansen. Jansen is brand new to Texas, um, but he's a longtime friend of ours uh, at One Chapel, and so we are so excited to have him here. He is our TAG student pastor who is leading our TAG students right here in Austin, and we're so grateful to have him. Uh, next right here, this is Neil. Say, hi, Neil. Neil right here is a graduate of Highlands College, uh, which is Chris Hodges, one of our overseers, uh, the program out there, and he is brand new to Austin as well, but you'll see God has done an incredible work of his life, and he's helping lead our Monday night group now. And finally, this right here is Jackie. Everyone say, hey there, Jackie. Hey there, Jackie. Jackie Scandrup is a graduate of One Chapel College, and she has invested so much in our student ministry, so much in our kids and women's ministry, and these are five incredible speakers who are going to share five, five speakers, seven minutes each. Are you ready? All right, please welcome our first speaker, Mr. Alan Stone. 
more than one chapel? Uh, so I'd be curious, and I, I don't need a show of hands for this, but I'd be curious how many of us in the room have ever had like this moment where you're so frustrated with someone and you've had this thought of, man, this person's never going to change. Like, they're never going to get it. Like, they're never going to get it right. It's always going to be this way, that kind of thought, right? So now maybe it's like, maybe it's the coworker that forgets to turn his, his TPS reports every week. You have to work Saturday. That'd be great, right? Or maybe it's your spouse, right? Maybe it's a spouse that uh, fails to see that you're right again. Uh, or maybe it's a parent who thinks that high school is still about skating rinks and mixtapes. Uh, but times have changed, my friends. Now, now here's the thing. There's a lot of things in our world that don't change, right? Like the sun rises in the east, sets in the west, never going to change. I-35 has traffic 24 hours a day, never going to change. The Cowboys have five Super Bowl wins, never going to change. <laughs> Thank you, that's all. No, but, but when, when I think about it, I don't think this is true for people, right? I don't think it's true that people never change. D do this. Close your eyes for just a minute, and I want you to picture your best friend in second grade. Now, unless you're in second grade right now, they probably don't look like that anymore, but this is what we do. You can open your eyes. This is what we do. We get this picture of someone in our minds, and then that's how they are forever, right? We just think, oh, this is that person, and this is what they're about, and they're never going to change. Uh, now, here's the thing. We love stories of transformation, right? We, we love people moving point A to point B. We tell those stories here on Sunday mornings. We make videos about them. Like, we're wired for this, this type of story, right? And we love them when they're happening in someone else's life, right? We love them when there's, when there's degrees of separation where, where it's like, oh, yeah, that's a great story for someone else to have to go through. But what about when it's not? What about when it is that coworker or your best friend or the person sitting next to you? Hold your elbows, please. Uh, and, and here's the thing. I'm not just talking about major crises here, right? I'm talking about bad habits. I'm talking about communication breakdowns between spouses. I'm talking about your basketball buddy who's always talking down about his old lady, right? Like these, these are the types of things. We have a mission at One Chapel, and it's to help people move Right, it's on the wall, right? And so, so I want to throw this out there of how much do we actually believe that? Like, how much do we actually believe that people will move? Now, I know there's a bunch of you that are like, yeah, I know some people that need to move, like, out. Like, my kids, you've been here too long. It's time to go. I'm just kidding. My, my oldest son just started high school, and I'm never letting him move out. So um, it's real. So the definition of move is to change or cause to change from one state, opinion, activity to another, okay? So here's my question. Can we really help people move if we don't believe they can change? So when I so back in Colorado, before we moved here, there's this guy that, uh, that it, like, his life was, was kind of a wreck, right? Like, he's, he's on the struggle bus in a lot of different areas. He doesn't really have any purpose or vision for his life. And it's not, not for lack of trying, right? He's ambitious and always trying to figure this stuff out. But, but this, it, this discontent is kind of spreading to all areas of his, of his life, his marriage and kids. And, uh, and, and he can't figure it out. And, and there's just kind of this stigma of, like, well, he's never going to figure it out. Like, he's never going to change. And this is the person that I'm thinking of. When I talk about, like, oh, who are these people that are never going to change, this is, this is who I'm thinking of. So maybe you have a person like that. They could be at work. Maybe they're here in church, right, where you just have this mindset of this person isn't going to get it. 
And so, so I want to talk about how we help someone like that, right? How do we help them move? Now, I could take all of their seven-minute slots to talk about all the ways that we can help people, but I'm not going to do that. Um, but so I want to I give you one, right? There's so much more than this, but I'm going to give you one. And that one is you've got to have faith, right? You have to have faith that that person can change. There was a study done a couple of years ago that talked about, they, they did a study on people's ability to predict how much they would change over the course of their life compared to how much they actually change. Uh, and it was fascinating. There's two big things that they found. The first one was that the older you get, the less you change. And young people, that's a great thing for us because we can be all over the place sometimes. Uh, but the second thing that they found was that people vastly underestimate their, their ability to predict how much they will change. To the degree that, that an 18-year-old, 18-year-olds anticipate the amount of change, the amount of change they anticipate is actually what a 50-year-old does change, right? So it's this huge chasm, this huge gap. There's a psychologist named Dan Gilbert, and in talking about this study, he says, most of us can remember who we were 10 years ago, but we find it hard to imagine who we're going to be in 10 years. Now, pause for a second. If we have a hard time imagining ourselves in 10 years, no wonder we have a hard time picturing why people are going to change, right? He goes on to say that we mistakenly think that because it's hard to imagine, it's not likely to happen. So when you say that, when you say, oh, this person is never going to change, like they're never going to get it, you're, what you're saying is, oh, this likelihood of them never changing is actually your lack of imagination, right? So <clears throat> this is where faith comes in. Hebrew, uh, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So I want to ask you, what are you hoping for in that person that comes to mind? What are you hoping for in their life? What are, the, what are the things that you're like, man, I don't see it, but I don't need to because I can have faith and hope that these are the areas that they're going to change. Now, I know people can change. And I know that having faith and prayer and encouragement, all of these things do that because that guy that I was talking about was me. Right? Eight years ago, before we moved here, I think God called me down to Austin to help plant one chapel. I hope you've heard of it. Uh, he called me down and he surrounded me with people that encouraged me, people that prayed for me, and people that believed that God was already doing something in my life, right? And that changed the game for me. So let's wrap this up. If you only remember one thing that I have to say, this is it. This is the one. So write it down, pray about it, get a tattoo, whatever it takes. We have to believe that people can change. We have to, Right? Because if we're going to do more with what's written on the wall than just say it occasionally on a Sunday morning, if we're going to make change and make a difference in people's lives, then we have to believe that. And I'm not just talking about the people out there somewhere. I'm talking about the people that you see every day, the people you see at their worst, that are in the thick of it. Those are the people that we need to be rooting for. Those are the people that we have to believe can change. Thank you. Um, so like Rob said earlier, I uh, actually serve in TAG Student Ministries here at One Chapel. And my actual title is the TAG Student Ministries Coordinator. Super fancy, I know. But uh, they gave me this title because I really like to organize stuff. Like a lot. <laughs> um, but when I was 17 years old, I felt like God had placed a calling on my life uh, to serve student ministries. Um, now, at that time, I didn't really know what it would look like. He didn't really see fit to give me all the details. Um, but I just knew that that was the path and the trajectory that I was going to be on. 
And so I was actually a senior in high school, and so after I got this calling, after I had this encounter, I promptly did nothing with it. I graduated high school, and I went off to college, um, and I decided to go far, far away to Waco. I know, it's it's really far. Um, But I decided to go to college, and so that freshman year, I really was just more focused kind of on myself and kind of figuring out what it meant to be a freshman in college and be away from my family and be away from Austin. And so um, one thing you do need to know about me is I was a church kid. And so what that means is I was at everything. I was at every event. I was at every church function. I was at church every Wednesday night, every Sunday morning. And yes, people, every Sunday night, there was church on Sunday night, and I was there. And that was when Christians were more holy than they are now. Um, but I was there. I was that church kid. I was, I was going through it, and, and my parents were there. So when I was going through my freshman year in that fall semester, It was really great to be able to sleep in on a Sunday morning because my mom and dad weren't there to drag me to church. And so the farther we went down that fall semester, um, the more disconnected I became um, from my relationship with Jesus and from the church. And I just started slowly going down this path of loneliness and sadness and just darkness. And... When I look back on my life in that point, like I can see that that was just a season of depression in my life. And when I was living it, it just was terrible. And one day I looked around and it was like the light was just gone from my life. And I was so separated from Jesus that he just wasn't there. That's what I thought. And so I decided after my freshman year to move back to Austin. Tucked my tail between my legs, and I was like, all right, I'm moving home. I thought that if I moved home, that all of my problems would be solved. Well, shocker, that didn't help. Um, You know, things actually got worse for me. My boyfriend at the time and I broke up. I still had no real friendships or connections that I was investing in or that really were speaking life into me. And I was a real jerk to my parents. And honestly, they just were doing what they thought was going to help. And that was dragging me back to church. And so um, I would sit there on Sunday mornings, and it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel like home. And I'm an overly emotional person. And so I'm all about the feels, right? So I'm sitting there on Sunday, and it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good. And so I'm like, this isn't working. And so I would, you know, show up late, and I would leave early. And so that connection was still not there. That church family that was investing in me and that I was investing in still wasn't there. And my relationship with Jesus still wasn't there. But through it all, Jesus was still there, even though I couldn't see it. He was there, and he was working on me. He was working on my heart and on my mind and on my emotions. And so one Sunday morning, I was like, this isn't working. I need to find a church that I can call home. I need to find a place that feels good. And so through a personal invite, um, on a Sunday morning in January 2012, I dragged my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, shout out Roland, <laughs> um, but I dragged him to church with me on Sunday morning, and we walked through the doors of one chapel, 
And the second we walked through the doors, I just felt this sense of calmness and a sense of peace and almost like a homecoming that I had not felt in a really long time. And it was funny because about halfway through the service, Roland and I looked at each other and we were like, there's something special here. There's something different that we haven't encountered in a long time. And in Psalms 68, 5 and 6, it says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. When Roland and I walked through the doors of one chapel, we truly felt the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit. Because I was that person that was living in the sun-scorched land of rebellion and distance and lack of connection. You know, God saw me, though. He saw my hurt. He saw my depression. He saw my pain and my loss. He saw what I was a prisoner to, and he walked with me through that, out of the darkness, singing. He set us in a family. He set me in my family. So a year after Roland and I came to One Chapel, I finally felt like I was in a place where I could really step into the calling that God had placed on my life when I was 17 years old. I felt like I was in a place that I could really invest and serve students well and that I could use the gifts and talents that God had given me to truly fulfill the purpose that he had given me. And so January 2013, it was a groups Sunday morning, and I walked up to the tag table and I said, okay, I'm here. I want to be a tag leader. And it was from that point on that I have been faithfully serving in the student ministries for the last five years. And it's hasn't always been easy, but I'm telling you, it has always been worth it. One chapel, hear me. Living in the purpose and calling that God has for you will always be worth it. This is my story of how I moved from where I was to where God wanted me to be. Thank you. Man, that is so good. Living in your calling and your purpose is worth it. Man, I love this topic of how did I get from where I was to where God wanted me to be? And for me, I think I'm only 22 years old, and so I think that's still an everyday thing, right? Uh, things have been so fluid. There's been tons of transitions. But there is like one big specific transition in my life that happened that really kind of kick-started me into this process. And so... Um, a little bit about me. Some of you already know this. I am a football fanatic. Like, my whole life, I grew up watching football, playing football, coaching football. Like, you name it. Like, it has been a part of me. And so, um, I also grew up in church, and so I knew kind of what it looked like to follow Jesus. But um, as I grew older, I, you know the song, I'm not going to sing it for you because all of your ears would be bleeding, but um, I have decided to follow Jesus. I think when I chose Christ, it was I have decided to let Jesus follow me. 
right? Because so for me, when I was a senior in high school, I got a football scholarship to go play um, at a university in Chicago. And my life up to that point had been all about football. I wanted all of my purpose. You know, when I was younger, I wanted to play in the NFL. And then I woke up one day, and I looked down at myself, and I was like, you know, I'm five foot eleven and white. That's probably not going to happen. <laughs> but even still, even still, it was something that I surrounded my entire life around. And so my freshman year of college, I, I redshirted. And my sophomore year of college, um, everything that I had been working towards, playing time and, and just advancing in this purpose that I thought was mine, um, was happening. I was getting playing time. I was in good with my coaches. Everything was good on the surface. But for some reason, there was still this, like, hollow feeling inside of me. There was something that was not satisfying. I thought, you know, we're all working through high school, and even up to that point, like, I'd put in so many hours of work, and, and it, that was, like, paying off. But why didn't it, why did I feel so hollow and unsatisfied? And so week after week went by in my sophomore season, and I, I can honestly tell you that I, it was something that was such a burden on me. I could not understand why there was no joy. There was just this dissatisfaction with what I thought that I, wh I what I thought was my purpose. And so, um, <laughs> I'm so naive. I prayed on a Thursday, or on a Tuesday morning, God, if this is not your greatest good for me, I'm going to need you to give me a sign because without a sign, I'm not leaving because I'm happy here. <laughs> and um, that exact same day, in a non-contact drill and practice, I destroyed my ankle. I broke it in two spots. I tore three ligaments. My foot was completely turned around backwards. Sorry, that's a little, gr a little graphic. But to me, that was a loud and clear sign, right? <laughs> this is not God's greatest good, like, good for me. And so at that moment, I was faced with a, with a, a decision, like I could choose to kind of think that maybe this was a coincidence, or I could choose to believe that, man, God's got something greater for me. But the hardest thing for me, and I think for, for a lot of us in here, is we say that we trust God, but, but how many of us trust God with, with our plans and like our future? Because I think that one of the toughest things is to believe that God has what's best for you. I think we're in such an achievement-oriented culture, so we think that, oh, man, i got to get mine. i got to advance. And working hard is great, but I'm telling you, it is worth it to trust God with your, with your plans and with your purpose. So um, after that, just to kind of push along the story, so I got surgery, and I felt like the Lord was calling me to, was calling me to transfer from where I was at to another university to where I knew nobody, where I had no idea what I wanted to do in life. And this was a huge thing for me. But I, I was studying the word one day, and in Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 20, it says this. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. Not my will. His will. So I don't know where you guys are today. I don't know what that means for you. I, I would venture to say that y'all are probably not all football players. 
and y'all are probably all not thinking that that's the path that he has for you, but I'm telling you that walking in the purpose of God and praying through that purpose of God is worth it. Because where I felt so hollow, when God asked me to step out, man, I was trying to, I, I realized that I was trying to use football to, to fill that hollow aspect in my, in my heart. But only God can fill that. And, and I wish that I could tell you that as soon as I transferred, the Lord kind of lit up the entire path. And now I know every single move that's, that's, that I'm going to make. No, that's not true. But I trust him with the plan. And that's worth it. And I'm telling you, there's so much more satisfaction in that. Only God can satisfy and fulfill us. So I don't know what that means to you, but my prayer is that you would get to a point where you can trust God and trust that he has your greatest good in mind and that his best is better than the best that we can get for ourselves. That's all I have. Thanks. A1 Chapel. So when I was asked to speak on this topic of moving from where I am to where God wants me to be, at first I thought I was going to bring you on this journey of my life from birth into where I am now, which I could do because I have been known to talk really, really fast while speaking. But uh, when Pastor Ross told me I had to pick one story, I thought I should probably change that up. But honestly, when I was looking at my life and trying to figure out what to share with you guys, I didn't really think that there was one thing that stood out that would bring value to you guys. But as I prayed about it, I felt like God brought a journey that I walked through um, to my heart that I believe that he wants me to share with you guys. And this is something that I never thought that I would be saying in front of a large group of people. But here I am. I feel like God is getting me to say this for a reason today. And I want to ask you as well to, uh, to listen with an open heart. Because even if you feel like you haven't gone through exactly what I've gone through, I know that God can still speak to you through what I'm going to say today. So when I was about the age of six, between six and eight, I was sexually abused. Now, I want to say that I did not recognize it as sexual abuse until I was in my early 20s. It wasn't until um, I was at a women's conference that I realized that. Now, it's not that... I forgot what had happened um, or that that memory was gone. I knew it was there. I knew that it happened. I just didn't realize how it had affected my entire life, and I didn't recognize it as that. So when I was at a, this women's conference in my early 20s, um, I was, remember sitting, and the lady who was speaking said, I want everybody who's been sexually abused to stand up. And I remember sitting in my chair, and I was like, that's not me. I don't need to stand up. But then there was this little voice inside of me that kept saying, Jackie, stand up. Jackie, stand up. So I was like, okay. So I stood up. And the moment that I stood up, it was like my eyes were open to what I had gone through and what I had dealt with. My eyes were open to how that thing in my past had been affecting my entire life. You see, God saw that thing in my heart, and he, he saw that deep wound, and he loved me so much that he wanted to bring me out of that place. He said, hey, Jackie, I see this wound that's in your heart, and I want to bring it to the light because I want to free you from it. It would have been way easier for me to go throughout my life and say, I don't want to deal with this. Yeah, that happened, but I'm just going to push it down, and I'm going to choose to completely ignore it and solve it my way. But that's not what God wanted for me. So what followed this step 
of me recognizing what happened to me was a lot of prayer, a lot of me forgiving this person over and over and over again. And honestly, there was many times where I thought that I was over it too. There was many times where I was going through life and I was like, I'm good. <laughs> I've forgiven this person. I've moved on. The shame is gone. The pain is gone. All of it's gone. But then something would happen and it would, all the memories would come flooding back in. For instance, one day while my kids were playing, there was this word that they would say. And every time that they said it, it put me back into that place of being a six-year-old little girl. And it was at that moment where I was like, I am done. I am done with being um, kept captive to this thing and being in bondage. And I, but I was tired of fighting this alone. I had spent my, pretty much my whole life fighting this thing on my own. And so I knew that I needed somebody to stand with me and pray with me. So I called a couple women in our church um, and I said, hey, this is what's going on. I need you to pray with me. So they came to my house, they sat with me on my couch, they prayed with me and they fought with me. And I really believe that it was in that time, in that very precious time that they prayed with me that I was freed from it. If I wasn't, there is no way I would be able to stand before you now and share this very, very vulnerable time in my past. But I wanna say that this has been a really long process for me. I mean, this happened to me when I was six and I'm gonna be 32 next month and it's only been in the last few years that I've really been able to walk into this new place of freedom. And it's only been in the last year that I felt like I was broken, freed from it. And I could have decided so many times that it was too hard. I could have decided so many times to take that thing that God brought, put in the light and said, Jackie, let's deal with this. I could have decided and was like, mm, nope, it's too hard and just taken it back and put it in the darkness of my heart. But when, the thi when there's stuff in, in the darkness of our heart, that's when it has power over us. And I didn't want that anymore. I wanted to be completely broken, freed from it. So I said yes to God. I said, okay, God, you wanna deal with it? Let's deal with it because I'm tired of being in that place of darkness. So the last thing that God would have wanted for me was to stay in that place of brokenness and of anger and pain. He wanted to move me onto a new place where there was life and where there was freedom. In Isaiah 43, verse 18 to 19, it says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. You see, God saw me in that wasteland and he wanted to bring me to a new place where there was freedom and there was life because where I was, there was no freedom there. There was bondage and he wanted to bring me out of that place. So if I can leave you with just a few things to remember, it's this. God cares enough about you to point those things up in your heart that you've been trying to ignore and trying to push down. God cares enough about you to bring you up out of the pit that you find yourself in right now. And God cares enough about you to not let you go through this alone. Just like there was people in this church who walked with me in my journey, I know that there's people here that would love to walk with you as well. So if God has brought something up in your heart that he wants to free you from and he wants to heal you, let him step in and begin that process. But I want to encourage you to be patient with yourself because the, the journey to healing and freedom is often longer than what we expect. But I promise you, if you stick with it, if you trust God in the process, the freedom and the healing will come. Thank you. All right. What's up, Bourne Chapel?
Okay, one second. I'm going through here. So how's your day? Um, all right. So in preparation, I'm gonna jump right in. Sorry, because like I only got seven minutes, and that goes really fast, and I can already hear the music playing. So um, in preparation for this, I, I got reminded of the story that happened back home in Brownsville, Texas. And if you know anything about Brownsville or that the valley or anything like that, um, you know that we have a big problem with tarantulas. Now, if you don't know what a tarantula is, it is a big, black, hairy spider, and they're all mean, and they're all jerks, and, okay, that, that's not fair, because I don't know all tarantulas, but I'm pretty sure the ones I've met, <laughs> they're pretty mean. Um, but it, it reminded me of this time, I was uh, laying at home, you know, watching TV, as you do, um, and I get this text from my cousin, and she's like, hey, there's a huge tarantula in front of my door, and I can't get in, and can you come help me? So, first reaction is, okay, I'm going to put my phone down and put it on silent and then crawl in bed. And then in the morning, I'll text her and be like, oh, I just got this text. So sorry. <laughs> Bless your heart. <laughs> but something rose up inside me. Some would call it courage. Some would call it stupidity. But um, it rose in me, and I said, you know what? I'm going to show this tarantula who's boss, right? So I got, up, got the, the, the tarantula destroyer, which is the shovel. And then I, I got in my car, get, went over there, and I saw her outside, and, you know, I walked right past her, like, hey, what's up? But I'm going, I'm on a mission, so I go to the door, and, you know, I'm, I'm ready, you know. And, but when I get there, there's nothing there. I'm like, Lord, you, you answer prayers, you are faithful, <laughs> amen, and thank you. And then I don't know where the tarantula comes out of the shadows, it comes straight at me. So I post up, right, and I look it straight in the eye, and I'm like, okay, let's do this. And I did the most manliest thing I could do. I got the shovel, and I threw it at it. <laughs> and I screamed like a little girl and ran. <laughs> okay, but that's not the most embarrassing part of it. So there's this, uh, this thing that I did that somehow my body was like, okay, this is the most logical thing to do. Um, you, I didn't just run away, but my body was like, okay, we're in fight or flight. We're, we're choosing flight, but this is the way we're going to do it. We're going to do it like a little high knee kick thing. And so I did this thing where it's like, <laughs> yeah, not very manly. But anyways, needless to say, my, my cousin spent the night at my parents' house. It was great. Uh, but <laughs> I tell this embarrassing story. But because I, I was, it got me thinking and it got me kind of like looking at this story of just how ironic it is and how funny it could be. Because when you look at it from like the outside in, you realize like I'm so much bigger than this little tarantula like if I were to accidentally fall on it it would be destroyed right yeah thanks for the laughing <laughs> um, but it it's kind of funny because like I, I uh, I'm so much more powerful than this little tarantula yet it had so much more control over the situation than I did and it got me in this place of wondering like how many times have I or how many times have we run away from all these spiritual tarantulas like that I'm not good enough I'm not pretty enough I'm not smart enough I don't know enough scripture I don't know I can't talk in front of people I can't do this my spirit my I don't have gifts like you but and we we find ourselves running away I feel like it came down to this reality that if we only knew and saw ourselves to the perspective that God sees us we'd see how much more powerful we really are. 
So to make a long story short, there was this time where I'm just, I was just in this broken state. I, I felt ugly. I felt unwanted. You name it. I just, I was in the lows of lows. And I started reading the Bible just kind of like, like, God, show me something because I need peace. I need whatever you can show me. Like, just, I need something. I need a word. And the only thing I could come up with or I felt was to read one of the most famous scriptures I've ever heard, and I've heard it thousands of times. But to be honest, up until that point, I have actually never read it. And it's uh, Psalms 139. And I started reading it, and God just kept on putting my heart, read it again, read it again. So about like the fifth or sixth time, I get halfway and just start bawling in tears. Because I realized the next verse I was about to read I didn't truly believe it. I didn't, I didn't believe it. And so the next verse is, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And the sad thing is my soul did not know it very well. And it, I didn't know it and I didn't believe it because it didn't fit what I saw in the mirror. It didn't fit what the world had said about me. And it didn't fit the way I felt after past relationships. And I, and I think God knew that. So he took me over to Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through 46. And there's two parables that Jesus tells. And he says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. And God stopped me after that and said, son, you are the hidden treasure. You are the pearl of great value. And one chapel, what I really want to tell you right now on a Sunday morning in seven minutes is that you are the hidden treasure. You are the pearl of great value. And God bankrupted all of heaven so that you could know that you are valued that you are beautiful, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you are more than a conqueror, that there is nothing more powerful in all of the, the depths of hell more powerful than you because he has saved you and set you aside to do his great works. Oh, before I stop, uh, I do want to leave you with something practical. Um, in Acts chapter 10, there's this, this story of a vision, and Peter has this vision where the sheet comes down, and for some odd reason, I always picture a picnic sheet coming down. Uh, and it has all these, like, animals on it, right? And particularly the ones that Jewish people can't eat. And God says, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, no, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And God's next statement is so profound. And it has so much more to do with than just, just food. And Peter comes to that realization later on. But he says, what God has made clean, do not call common. What God has made clean, do not call common. One chapel, what I would love you to do is the next time you look in the mirror and you see anything contrary to beautiful, you see anything contrary to fearfully and wonderfully made, anything contrary to righteous or beloved, I want you to stop that, that thought cycle and then speak to that negativity and say, no, 
for what God has made clean, do not call common. What God has made clean, do not call common. Thank you so much, One Chapel. I want you just to uh, bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment, and I want to lead you in a prayer. And um, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here before we finish. And there's some profound ideas in these stories. And I believe that all over the room, there are people who can identify with what was going on in those stories. And you may be facing your own depression. You may be facing the foolishness of your yesterdays. You may be trying to deal with your past in a way you just don't even know exactly how to do it. You may be kind of taking charge of your own life and not surrendering it to Jesus in a way where you follow him and instead you want him to follow you. What I want to encourage you to do today is I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and I want all of us to decide we're going to take another step towards Jesus. Just one. It's really all it takes. It's really all you can take. Because <laughs> everything else he does, he begins the healing journey in your life. And whatever you're facing, whatever's going on, whatever you're, what is happening in your circumstances, in your life, you can respond to the work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who's speaking to all of us in the room through these stories, and you can say, yep, that's me. Okay. I'm going to take a step towards you. And all it takes is willingness. All it takes is repentance. Repentance, a willingness to repent and surrender your life. Oh, well, Pastor Russ, I've already surrendered my life to God. I know. Isn't it strange how it comes back around? And you have to surrender once again. Because for some of you, it's like, well, this is taking way too long. So will you join me in a prayer right now of surrender? Join me in a prayer of choosing one more step towards Jesus. Father, all across this room, we all gather together in this prayer, and we say yes to you. We say yes to your story that you want to unfold in our lives. Forgive us, Lord, for insisting on our own way and our own story. Lord, would you heal us? Lord, forgive us for being impatient. Lord, we want to take a step one step towards you today and we want you to take over take over our story let your story intersect with our story and change it transform it transform my life transform my heart give me hope again in this moment today because of this moment in this story that you've given me Lord I look to you we all look to you and we surrender we surrender. We move towards you. And we thank you for open arms. 
Thank you for forgiveness and for freedom. Thank you for healing. We trust you. And we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.